Welcome to the Sales Career Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Hopp. Whether you're an executive, sales leader, or just getting your career in sales started, I'm here to help you read between the lines and hear the real stories that you can't get from a resume or from a LinkedIn profile, all designed to help you shape your own sales career. Let's dive right into today's episode and see what we can learn. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Sales Career Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopp. Joining me today, I have a, a, a man that I've had the pleasure of knowing for many, many years. And his name is Steve Schmidt. He's the CEO over at Tidal right now. The great and powerful Steve Schmidt. Welcome to the show. Kevin, it's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. I know I was really excited when you... You know, we had talked that day, and you told me you were doing this, and and here you are doing it. This this is the thing about you. When you say you're going to do something, you do it, and I I admire that because there's a lot of talk out there. You know, we all That's have right. intentions until it takes time to think. Oh, I got to do that. I got to do the thing I said I should do. So, congrats, I, man. Thank you, thank you. I, I'm having a lot of fun with the podcast, getting to know a lot of people, getting getting to hear a lot of really interesting stories, right? And that's what the the focus of this podcast is: is the human side of of business, the human side of sales. Um, it's not all leaderboards and commission checks, right? There's there's a lot underneath the surface. So let's start by digging into a little bit of your sales career. You know, looking on your LinkedIn real quick, you could see that that Steve Schmidt in the first what six six plus years of your career, you're the telecom guy. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about how you got started in telecom and you bounced around to a few of the major players there. What was that like and, and why why was that where you started your career? It was some fresh hell, that's for sure. I, it's interesting, <laughs> uh, you know, tel, telecom uh, is actually, uh, it's like it was at the time what SaaS is now, that feeling of sort of tech hitting. Um, if you, you know, I was fascinated with history first and foremost, the way that telecom railroads infrastructure was brought in the United States was fascinating to me. The whole decommissioning and provisioning of Ma Bell and that history of sort of, oh yeah, we got to not let one person own the entire fucking network of, right. of telecom. And then whether, whether it was diversity of call it infrastructure or whatever, it became this thing, um, that was, let's call it pretty damn big. Everybody had a cell phone, except for me when I took my first job. I was, uh, I'm 44, so let's wind it back. I guess, what was it, 2002? And I remember I didn't have a cell phone, and I was like, I should probably get a cell phone if, I, if I'm going to work for this cell phone company. And of course, they're like, well, we give free cell phones. And I was like, oh, man, that's worth it right there. Like they were, <laughs> It was like $200 a month or whatever to have a cell phone. But I, I think, if anything, if I had to look back, is that is the one place that I got the idea of discipline beat into me. It's like the old copier reps, right? We, you had a territory, you had a car, you probably went out and bought a better car than you had because you were talked into it by your manager. So you'd have to make commissions to live. And I think I bought like a, I don't know, like a Mazda sports car, something like a, a gently wow. used Mazda sports car and uh, put on my terrible Sears suit and went it, went after it. But it, within about three months, I got bit by the activity bug because of course, when you see it work, all those no's and that this isn't working, you forget about them in a millisecond, man. You're on the leaderboard. They were big on spiffs. And I got my first big commission check like five months in. It was $10,000. I was like, man, sign me up. I'm going to retire when I'm 32. Front cover of Fortune magazine. Here we go. Let's roll. And at the time, like, I didn't know any different. 
I didn't know yeah. anything about what people did or made for money. I was an actor and a musician. So to me, like that was a way better gig than playing first half on a Friday night and, you know, smelling like smoke and whiskey. And I was like, well, this pays well. And, yeah. and, um, that led to the next thing and the next thing up till 2007, the advent of the cloud. I still remember sitting in a room and someone saying, no, no, the cloud is this. And we were all just like, I have no idea what they're talking about, man. Yeah. This makes no sense. We were thinking, isn't it up in the sky? No, no, no. It's a bunch of server farms. Well, I think AWS, Amazon Web picked up pretty well what cloud infrastructure was. They built a company off of it. And totally. so I remember telling somebody, I'm like, man, I'm out of here. This is never going to work. <laughs> this is never going to work. Cloud infrastructure. They're just trying to get us to sell some bullshit. And um, we we had uh, Cisco was a company that had telepresence rooms. Kevin, I'm telling you, man, we would be doing this right now. The room for you to do a podcast in 2007 itself would have cost a million dollars to have a video feed that was this fast. You would have had to pipe in a dedicated internet circuit for about five grand. There was no such thing as a mobile hotspot. Um, yeah. Now, mind you, this is only 14 years ago, so it's not like it was a lifetime ago. It, was, no. it wasn't that long ago, and we'd have to build out a room, and there'd be this big flat screen, and you'd sit there and go, oh, my God, you can see me, I can see you, and you'd be like, look at my hand. And that was worth, I sold eight of those rooms, and it was about an $8.4 million deal. And, wow. um, I remember, and I remember this commission checks could be huge. Forgot that I'm working for the man in corporate America. It doesn't quite work that way. Whatever the commission book said, throw it out. And I think my commission check was still pretty good. Um, and I went to like the whole Diamond Club top one percenter award trip. But th then I was like, I was all about mastery. At that point, I was like, I need to be so good that I can come to Hawaii every year and have people feed me sushi and hike up mountains. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. And uh, I'm not big on like fast cars and fancy cars, but just the feeling of like an ultimate reward for for doing well like sales system like you know how it is man like that reward system was tapped into like a gold mine and that was for sure that was like that was when the telecom career was like worth it and and i will say this to kind of end that spree is um that's that's an airplane isn't it i can hear it yeah if you if you can if you can hear it yeah I, i'm in my home studio here so it's, I a, love it. it's my garage my garage door is open I've got the you know the sunshine pouring in. We got about a foot of sunshine on the ground here. You're in South Dakota, right? It's got like a foot of snow. That's a little different. Yeah, <laughs> you're like you're like the garage band podcaster, like Metallica old days. That's right. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, but I will say this to end in, in like to go into the 2011, knowing that software was really becoming the thing, and the only software I knew was like Oracle, uh, IBM. It wasn't a huge deal in the 2000s, at least certainly not to where we're seeing it right now. And then I started to understand that, holy shit, this is going to be hard to get a SaaS job because I started interviewing for them. They were like, mm, no experience. I was like, I have 10 years of sales experience. I can cold call like a mother. They're like, well, but you don't have SaaS experience. I'm like, what the hell is SaaS? Yep. We learned a thing That's or a two since then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward, right? Like uh, SaaS is eating the world. It's something that I talked about on on the last uh, or one of the one of the last episodes here with James Buckley. I'm sure you know James. Say what sales Buckley, right? He he was Say a what? yeah he was a he was a chef in a kitchen, and he ended up you know now he's one of the top influencers in the software world. Like the idea that you know software sales is a good job, 
I don't think you have to convince anyone anymore. At least no one that listens to this podcast is going to second guess whether or not software is a good place to be. So, uh, Steve, you talked about something interesting there, which is that reward system, right? The reward system that keeps so many sellers in sales for so long. Do you think that there's something different about the way that salespeople's brains are wired that we need that, right? Because like, so, so I think about it. I think about like my friends that aren't in sales and they show up to work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and sometimes they put in extra hours and, and they're like grinding and they're, they're working hard. And I would ask them sometimes, do you get commission for like completing this project on time? Is there like a carrot on the end of your stick here? And the answer is no. Like a lot of people just show up to work and do their work so that they can get their salary and they have they have more of kind of what I would call intrinsic motivations where they're like, oh, I got to do good for my team. My team needs me and the team is important because the company is important and the company pays my bills. But for us salespeople, don't you find – like do you find that we tend to be a lot more extrinsically motivated, little little coin operated sometimes? Oh my gosh, let's unravel this yarn ball. Yeah, I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know for myself, um, which is, I mean, it's hard to compare yourself and go, yeah, everybody is. But I will say large, if you had to survey most people, um, like you would find large problems of curiosity, inadequacy, and emotional, um, call it diversity. Like it is a sure. very, I think we've seen though, I think uh, we've all seen introverts creep into the game and start to be really successful. Um, for them, it's a different reward system. It's, it's about solving problems, right? Which which is great. Everybody wants to solve a problem. And the reward mm-hmm. is still for doing that job of solving a problem, we will pay you X because you made something out of nothing. Therefore, we pay you a percentage of it. So we're actually taught by a comp plan to beat ourselves up and not motivate ourselves because they're saying right away, you're inadequate. To earn all of your money, you need to actually do a really good job. And so it's it's for overachievers, it's for perfectionists, it's for data nerds. I mean, you're a little bit of all those things, Kev. Like it's you you have to be a conversationalist, you have to be an improv artist, you have to yeah. uh, eat sheet for lunch, like eat shit for lunch and get rejected all day. So it's a little bit yeah. of all the weird quirky things in life thrown into one thing. Yes, I do feel that that plus one or the whatever you want to call it, closed one plus one for an SDR. They know, and the gamification softwares, by the way, that are coming out are going to start to play to this. They're going to do the whole, that reward system of dopamine hits, I think is going to get played on hard with some of these new AI players, where they want you addicted to that win so much that they want you to become obsessed with it, just like we are with Instagram and TikTok. Right. Constantly tuning in, scrolling the timeline, constantly checking the leaderboard to figure out where you're at. But in a way, also, like I feel like, the gamification systems could do a lot to bridge the gap between, okay, if I'm not top 1%, if I'm not, you know, the guy, because at every company, everyone knows the guy, right? I remember very clearly being an SDR and knowing the guy at my company. And we used to sit in the back of the all hands meetings, me and the other SDRs. We had like eight of us at the time. We would sit in the back of the all hands meetings and calculate the guy's commission because we were all grinding for 40K salaries, you know, set meetings, $80 spiff here and there. And this guy would make $60,000 in a quarter in commission. And we were like, oh my God, you know, and it was, 
It's like I want to be him, and he would wear he would wear you know button down shirts with his you know, initials monogrammed on them, yeah. and it's like this guy is just playing another game than we are. And it was it, it's funny though because we can't all be that guy, right? And, and yeah. so so for for guys like me, I figured out I'm not the top one percent closer, but what am I good at, right? So I, I'm really good at opening, and I'm really obsessed with the systematization of the opening process. That's what I do with consulting. That's what that's what I've done for the past you know five years. Is how do we open the door in a systematic way? Um, I wonder if these game gamification tools are going to help recognize people that are doing positive things in sales that are not just closed one revenue. You know what I mean? Because there there are valuable things that people can do aside from. Yeah. Closing a deal, right? Well, there's clean, cleansing of data and data accuracy, which for any company right now to reward that's a huge piece. So yes, you can reward the little behavior. So it's a to your point. It, it's a to me, it's about what behaviors do you want to drive, right? And we all, if you gave a ten percent lift to the mid tier, you'd gain an infinite amount of revenue as a company, right? If we push our top performers to do ten percent more, a you don't need to. Uh, B. Um, you simply don't need to. Plus, it's a matter of like they're going to do it anyways. And if they can't get it where they're at, they will go get it somewhere else. Trust me. Top performers yeah. do not need to go find jobs. They find them. And so you almost want to lift the middle up with gamification because they're going to be the people who stick around, the steady eddies, right? The people who are like, you know, I'm cool with being average, but a little bit more than average, as long as I don't have to stay till six, sounds pretty good. But the yep. bottom performers don't give a shit that they're on the bottom because they're always just like, perfect interviewers, terrible executors. And um, I, I don't know how you lift them up. I think you lift the middle up, but uh, it's, I dare I say it will be very little about mental health and more about revenue <laughs> because they have to get series funded and backed. Uh, but yeah. I hope so, man. I, I hope so. I also hope that the things that I catch myself doing, you know, LinkedIn feels safe, right? We're on LinkedIn. We're like, well, this is business. So I can be yeah. on here all day and, and, and I've, you know, the company's made a lot of money, but I'm like, man, this thing's got me hooked too. Right. hundred percent. The ATM lever, right? Yep. Interesting. Uh, one of the things that I, that I think is fascinating is the idea of, can you build a system? Is there a way to build a better, a better career for salespeople? Meaning what if you built what if like, like I think about this, like should, should I focus my consulting on this, which is the idea around, can I help people be better employers of salespeople? Would that do a service to the whole industry, right? If we can be better employers and take a long game approach with our salespeople where you hire fast, you fire fast, right? Like I'm always going to advocate for that. If someone is not talking the talk, and walk in the walk by week three or four, they're probably never going to. Correct. Right? So you got to hire fast and fire fast. I'm a big fan of that. But also, yep. what if someone is decently good at it, middle of pack performer, but they show a propensity. They show, they show a real interest in operations. They show a real interest in the data side. They show a real interest in something else. A lot of organizations don't really have the maturity or the, the, the mindfulness around, we, we should not let this person go. We should not kick them to the curb. We should repurpose this talent one way or another. I don't know. It's just something that I've never really worked for great employers, you know, like I, I just, yeah. 
if I if I did, I'd still be there probably. <laughs> right. Like but like great employers. I've worked for some good bosses. I worked for some cool companies. Those are good adjectives that I would use. But great employers, you know, like it it, it also makes me think like is the is the, the goal of a startup to be a great employer? Now that is a that's a meta take. What do you think? Is the role of a startup company to be a good employer? Great employer? I think oh gosh, that is very meta. Um I think you can't uh, you see, you can't uh, you can't fight off the idea that there's going to be different stages of good employees in a startup, right? There's there's those early stages. It's like friends and family discount. I'm like, hey, you'll go down to the trenches in hell with me, right? Yeah, fuck it, whatever. I got nothing to lose. Like, yes, sales ops. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. and then you're like, hey, Damon, you hate that insurance sales job, right? Damon's like, fuck that, I hate it. And then Damon's like, I'm in. What am I doing? You're like, uh, you're sales, but don't talk too much. And whatever right. that looks like has to change month six. And then the maturity from call it, you know, one to five million might be able to sustain some of those people. Five to ten for me, it's been painfully obvious that I wanted to be the good employer year one. All the things, right? All the benefits, all the twenty percent pay more than anybody else in the country. It didn't do a damn thing. Not a damn thing. It didn't retain anybody who should have would have left otherwise. The people we paid the most left the most. Wow. Until we found the people who wanted to work at the company, not for the salary ranges, when we finally found out how to get into the second phase, which is people who genuinely want to be here for most of the day. you know, And then okay. that feels different because now we can be a better employer with giving them maybe a little bit less, but it's still the, the money, which what a strange time when everybody's going out to get it, right? Has never made for a more fruitful journey right. in life. Or in work. Interesting. Interesting. So anything so, over eighty thousand dollars, Kevin, isn't that the number? If you make over eighty thousand dollars, not in the Bay or California, but the national average, they say has diminishing returns on your happiness. Yeah, I mean those people don't live in San Diego, but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the national average. That's counting Arkansas and Idaho and South Dakota, but let's call it a hundred and eighty out there. Yeah. After yeah. that, like, yes, do we want it? B, does it – founders' divorce rates, like, what, 80%, 75%? That's a crazy statistic. I have not heard that. It's above Like, 50. if you're a founder of a company, you have a higher chance of getting divorced? Way higher. Ooh. Don't tell my wife. It, right. Well, it just it's, – it's, it's not an addiction, but it, it is, feels like one to the people around us because we're so focused on it. And – uh you and I both know that if you're a founder and someone calls you who is a potential customer at 9 p.m. at night or 4 a.m. in the morning, no matter what we write on LinkedIn, fucking answer the call. Of course. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole like, I actually only get up at 7, 10. I'm like, no, you don't. You're not, I mean, you might have checked your email when you got up to go potty at 4.30 for two hours and went back and took a snooze. And if you can, my God, I want to be like you, but I don't know how you operate a, a company and lift it off the ground with working an eight-hour day. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to wonder. Um, a lot of people saying a lot of things on LinkedIn that uh, are kind of talking headish. What's your What's your take on uh, the involvement of LinkedIn? Because you've, you've kind of been very public on LinkedIn around how much revenue you've generated off of it, how many customers you've brought in from it. It's kind of a very interesting perspective because most of the people that i follow the talking head sales type folks 
are doing tips and tricks and their tips and tricks and the next time your prospect says this, do this. And then those posts sometimes will go kind of viral and it, the more controversial it is, the better. But you're one of the only guys I see out there who's saying, hey, uh, this is what we do. And we're a premium provider. By the way, oh my God, I got to talk about this, Steve. You, you, you guys posted on the title page that you guys yep. are a premium provider and it's expensive. And you put a post up just about that. That is just, that's amazing. How many people say like that? I can't say enough about that because there's a reason that Porsche, Mercedes, Gucci, Lamborghini are never going to go out of business. It's because everyone will always assign an artificially high amount of value to people that stand up and say, I am the top tier. I am the gold standard, right? Like that is just, that is the, the, it took some balls to do that, man. And I love that. I love that. If if you're listening Uh, out there, like you want to work for guys like Steve who are saying, yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. It's the best you can possibly buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my what, God. What? That was, that was a dramatic post for a couple of reasons. So number one, the post was a tip of the hat to Adams, the shoe company who I love Adams shoes, A-T-O-M-S. Number one, they are an underground shoe company. They are like the vision street wear of Instagram shoes. They are like the most comfortable shoe ever. And they put out the most badass ad I ever. It said something like this is, this shoe is expensive. If you can't afford good shoes, then you don't want these. And, and like a good, tip of the hat like we said that about ourselves because we've always been trying to define when people say why do you cost so much we say well because we have good people because our people are expensive and it doesn't resonate instead we just say because we're good at what we do and we're expensive so we're saying we know we're expensive so we shouldn't have to cover that too much and I, i mean that that is a paradigm shift for me i never our our cro james sykes and he and i are yin and yang he's an austin cowboy i'm you know, whatever I'm slinging South Dakota, Steve. And, um, he came in and like the fifth month of month of business, I was like, Oh man, this is hard and blah, blah, blah. And he came in, he's like, double your price. I said, yeah, fuck no, man. I'm like, we're winning all these deals. He's like, well, you're winning all the deals because you're pretty damn low on the price. So we doubled it. We won a little bit. We, we actually won even more business, not by like a landslide or doubling it, but it was definitely incrementally more. And, um, that right there, I was just like, that in action. I, I gave away companies' monies when I worked for them because they discount the deal, right? Of course. And they always be like, why are you discounting? I'm like, well, I got to win the deal. And it's right. the value. The perception of value has never been higher, whether it's this podcast and you keeping it real in your garage, that's valuable to some people. Some people want to listen to us hack about a lot of life and a little bit of sales traits. Like other people say, no, I find value in listening to podcasts about working out. I'm like, I would die a slow death if I listened to a, a workout podcast, but they would die a very slow death if they listened to this one. So I think that in the, the overall perception, value's never been higher than right now. And um, I don't know, dude, if it's the economy, if it's everybody's like, there's so much money that people are willing to pay for people, for things, for everything. Cause COVID stripped us of feeling like we were capable of doing much. So we decided to do everything that we possibly could to say like, we'll do what we want. This is America. <laughs> this is, this is how we do it. And uh, anyways, I'm just going on a rant now. I'll, I'll stop. No, I love it. I look uh, the idea that things are way more readily accessible is, is what is driving you know, all, all the creation that you're seeing, right? And look at venture capital is flowing like 
It's not even flowing like water anymore. It's it's like air. You can just bottle it out of anywhere. Sit, put a cup out, and a hundred million will fall into it. Right. The amount of venture capital flying around right now, um, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with, quite frankly, people people got kind of scared with COVID that it would shut down the way the world operated, the B two B world, and it didn't. Everybody worked from home. And people actually liked their jobs a little bit more because they didn't have to go in and sit next to Gladys at the office and, you know, smell the kitchen when the one guy who always brings in seafood, microwave to seafood. <laughs> like people liked working from home. And all the studies that have been done I've seen have shown that productivity went up. And then when you're working from home and you don't have to move to Austin, Texas to get that tech job or New York City or the Bay, then you quit your job in Minnesota and you work for a company based in San Francisco who pays you slightly better and has all the cool corporate benefits. Like I think that the pandemic has been one of the best things in the last decade that has happened to employees. Employees have so much power now because it's like, look, I don't have to work for any company in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I can work for any company in the United States because I don't have to go into their office anyways. Even if I live down the street, we're not going in because Johnny's going to cough in my mouth and I'm going to get coronavirus <laughs> like right. right so so the world is just such a different place now and i love it um real quick i, I want to hear the story so talk to me like yeah. for those that don't know you at all you're the ceo of a company called title you guys yep. do outbound sales as a service if you if you know me at all folks listening i was in the outbound sales as a service game for uh, a bit right two different companies that i was very early at and i bowed out of this game because it's it's brutal and Steve knows better than anyone, and him and I have talked about it a lot. But can you tell the story of kind of how you started Title and, and why? Yeah, um, I'm going to condense into the one minute version because this can get wordy. I quit working for somebody in 2020. Yes, February, and then COVID happened. I was a consultant who had no direction. I just was like, oh, I better go talk to somebody about doing something because they all said, yeah, 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 you should do this. We'll hire you. Well, it turns out that doesn't work out so well <laughs> um, w when the, the shit hits the fan and you come there uh, and say like, hey, remember you wanted me to work top of funnel? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, sh budgets, you know, and I ended up taking a job. I went to Las Vegas, interviewed with a guy from China. He flew in at CES. Um, his competition tried to poison him with pot cookies the night before. He had to cancel the interview because he was in the emergency room. I stayed for another day with my wife, which is awesome, spending some time in Vegas with her. Um, and I, I caught him like when he came out of the ER room because he didn't know what happened. He's like, I, and what they found out is one of the comp competitors sent pot cookies to his room. So I'm sitting down with a guy. I can't understand him. He can't understand me. And I'm just like, I can build sales funnels for you big sales funnels to bring a Zoom compatible and Microsoft Teams compatible piece of hardware to America because I have a telecom background. And I left and my wife goes, did you get it? I said, I have no fucking idea what he said the entire time. Oh my gosh. And then he hired me and then uh, COVID hit. And then we pivoted to PPE like everybody who had a factory in China did. And we ended up selling $168 million worth of PPE. Fast forward, um, shifted to another company um, month four and the totality of what we sold in 10 months of the team I brought on, which is about 46 people was 168 million. That company was acquired for 70 million to buy a public company in San Diego, right next to you. I opted out of a million dollars in cash in hand that day and stock options to start this company uh, because I was smart enough to work for commission only. 
And they said 5% of a million would be a lot. I said, gosh, it would. We did 168 million. So it worked out pretty well in my favor. Um, we had a good time and um, 5% of margin, by the way, not, not top line. <laughs> if anybody's like, why is this guy even alive right now? He should have $30 million. No, significantly less than that. I had enough to bootstrap the first four or five months of a startup. And I said, I want to do top of funnel. I don't want to work with any one person. I never want to sell a freaking N95 or three ply mask again in my life and negotiate with prostitutes and two in the morning <laughs> on how to get nitro gloves in Malaysia and then coordinate Whoa. shipping when shipping has never been harder. And so we started title and it's been crazy since then. We started at zero on April 1st and um, I share these numbers. I mean, everybody talks about this in software, but I mean, we're doing about 480, 500. Uh, we'll, we'll finish just about 500 in monthly billable because um, I think it's because we pick up the damn phone and we make phone calls, right? We do outbound lead gen, just like 188 other companies. We just like to think we work a little bit harder and yeah. bring a little bit more grit, grit and tenacity to the table. Well, okay, so lot, <laughs> I have a few questions. I guess the, the question that jumps off the table at me was you walked away from a big paycheck to start your own company. Is that what I heard? Like what yep. can you unpack that for a second? Why why would you walk away from guaranteed money to start your own thing? What was so important about that to you? It's the same thing that I get sick of. I mean, I had a nightmare the other night, and this is not happening in real life, but I had a nightmare that I took a deal from somebody who wanted to buy title and I I couldn't like I couldn't feel myself in the dream because it meant, you know, people were gonna be gone and you know, I was now working for somebody else and all that effort went away. And I remember taking the check and being like, this is going to be awesome. And the next morning I woke up in the dream, just like, that was my baby. You know, like I just sold right. my baby and it didn't feel good in the dream at least. Right. But, um, I like money, man. I like money, like a lot of people. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not been smart about it historically until last five years. But I think that what that told me was like, man, if you got heart and you love what you do, um, Money is great, but if you give up money and it stops doing what you do, that could probably feel like prison for a lot of people. Yeah. Prison's I, maybe a strong word, but an emotional prison. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, that's something that I'm sure a lot of salespeople, because I'm a, a, a sales guy and I struggle with this idea of, is, it, is the money why I play the game or do I play the game to solve people's problems? And I think there's a there's a truth in it for any any high performing salesperson where the, it's a little bit of both, right? If you if you have a working funnel and you're actually closing deals, that means you're bringing the solutions to the table for people that have problems, which is satisfying. Yeah. But that hamster wheel, that dopamine hit of uh, you know my my favorite part of being in sales in general is you know we just started a new year and how much money is am I going to make in 2022? I, no idea. Every time I start the year, I'm like, I don't know. Like at the minimum, this. At the maximum, I want to make this, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't know. And every year I end up somewhere kind of in the middle, right? Yeah. And the, the goal is how do I get even higher than that next year? But that that is what ex excites me. That's what gets me going for it. But good to hear that you have such a like an emotional connection to your to your company like that. That's the the right I don't way know if to that's think healthy about or not is it is it i think I, so i think it is yeah okay. yeah the, right. you could talk to people who uh were in companies that exited quickly or or companies that you know didn't have as much of an emotional attachment i think especially founders should have an emotional level attachment to their business now the other side of that coin is a founder should never expect anybody who works for a paycheck 
to have an emotional connection to their business because you're not a founder, right? And that's, that's one of the things that in my career has frustrated me to no end where founders think that, oh, you know, I pay you good money. You should care about this as much as I do. And, you know, if you follow that line of logic down the stream for about one minute, it falls apart real quick. Okay, so I'll care about as much as you. I'll work the weekends. I'll, I'll make sure to prep before my work hours so that my work hours are super efficient. I'll make that extra call. I'll do this. I'll hit my quota. Okay, so you're not going to change the comp plan next year, right? And when the company sells, we split it equally, right? Yeah. Yes. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. No. <clears throat> Wrong. The yeah. founders stand to make 50 to 100 times more. Yeah. So for every penny you make, they make a dollar. And people need to understand that, right? So, wow. I, I found it out on accident. I mean, I, I didn't plan on that being that way. And I didn't plan on having, you know, 50 employees. And there's days I'm a shitty CEO. Some may argue more days than not. Um, but I think if it's what you learn is really quick. That is that, that when you want to complain and bitch about doing all the work, even if you have executives and you pay them and even, you know, even if they don't have literally a slice of the pie, not penny stock, on a freaking employment agreement. Mm-hmm. I'm talking the real deal Holyfield ownership, meaning you fire me, I still own 10%, mother. You know what? Like it's yeah. that's different because now you're ride or die. That's when people call, you know, it really pisses me off. And this is what like family, like, come on, man. If you're my family member, like there's no family at work. I mean, yes, can it feel like a family? Can you feel a bond? Yeah, but it's related to the work you're doing while you're there and it's temporary. For most mm-hmm. of those friendships, if it's really good and lasts for a long time, that's awesome. But you have to be willing to walk away from your employer and they have to be willing to walk away from you. And if you do that in life, as you know, then, you know, you're going to have a lot of divorces and failed friendships with work. It's like if you do the thing you said you would do, 70% as good as you said you would in the interview, I'm going to keep you around for as long as possible, as long as you're not a, a dick. Mm-hmm. As an employer, though, yeah, as you know, an employee's always sitting there going, man, I don't know if I trust you because you know – you know, I see you in those meetings. Are you getting acquired? Are you looking for money? Because man, I'm fucking out of here. There's a recruiter on LinkedIn and that company gives mugs and shiny backpacks on their first day and fuck it if they don't have the coolest LinkedIn feed ever. I'm going to go work for this new SaaS company. They're awesome. Repeat, repeat. Yeah. And I think that's the frustration is founders want you to work as hard because as a founder, you're driven to keep a top line heavy and increase a bottom line. So there's some room there. And as you, you're going, hey, I like your mission mostly from eight to five if it suits me because you need to have a healthy comp plan. You need to get the things in the career latitude you need as Kevin Hopp. They need to let you handle their podcast and not tell you every fucking thing to say. That's a little bit of ownership. That's called creative freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, those can be little things you can give away to people that don't cost you money. And that's what I'm trying to do now here too is like, hey, the podcast ain't going to be just me or two. We're bringing on two, three other people at least. Content isn't just going to be me or two because it can't be anymore. Otherwise, it's just yep. me. You know, I, I made it about myself. Now we have to make it about title year two. Yeah. That's a good, good way to look at it. Um, and that's, uh, that's something like the, the notion of being open to the reality that you're not always going to be at this job. Like how many people are, are taking a job and retiring there these days? You know, that, that model is come and gone, right? I talked about that in episode one that like my, my uncle and my father are career men. 
meaning they're going to retire at the same company that they took their first job at when they were in their 20s. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And it doesn't happen in the games that, that we play, Steve. You know, SaaS world, like, are you kidding? Like, name, name a tech company that's been around as long as my dad's been at his job. He, he's been at his job longer than Google has existed. He's been at his job longer than Facebook has existed. Any of these, you know, blue chip companies. So, wow. Well, hey, Steve, so much good conversation going here. Let's, yeah. um, let's wrap it up. I wrap up every, every episode. The same way I asked three questions. The first question is, what is the biggest commission check that you've ever gotten? Uh, I had a commission check, two commission checks in a row that were almost identical for 184 and 181 in 2014, selling wireless phones to government agencies and schools. Actually, it was like wireless embedded data devices. But yeah, they were big, big ones. Back to back, hundred and eighty thousand dollar checks, month after month. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah, those are the biggest checks that we've heard so far on the pod. A back to back hundred eighty k. That's incredible. I love that it. It's fun. That that that's a merry Christmas that year, huh? Yeah, and you know, then you, <laughs> then I quit five months later, right? Because you get a sniff of it, and then they kind of, you know, you're like, I'm gonna go sell SaaS for whatever it was at the time, and. It can be good and bad, man, because once you get one, oh, I'm telling you, it like doesn't change your life at all. Didn't change mine. Right. Um, I just applied it towards something and go, ooh, I've got a really nice lawn now with a landscape that I ended up selling the house two years later because I got divorced. So like it was very <laughs> fleeting for me. I didn't stick it in the investment market or anything. Like I was not smart right. with it. So the, that should hopefully, if it happened again, it would be treated differently. That's right. Well, you live and you learn. And, um, That's right. A fun lesson to learn. I'd rather learn with a lot of money, right? Like, what's the shoot? I forget who it was, but I heard him. I heard a uh, quote. I've been, I've been uh, rich and I've been poor, and I liked, or I've been sad when I'm rich, and I've been sad when I'm poor, and I take sad while I'm rich any day. Yeah. Like that. That was I the like quote that. that I heard. And I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, I'll be sad and I'll be, I'll be rich. Like I'd rather do that than be sad and poor. Okay, cool. So second, second question here. Um, in the totality of your career, going all the way back to your whippersnapper days, what what has been your favorite job? Oh, uh, can I count this one? Because it's not even close. But sure. Yeah, this is without a doubt. Um, second most fun was selling. Um, man, when I sold Outreach in 2017 for six months, I had a lot of fun for five of those months. And uh, I had a lot, a lot of fun. And then it was easily T-Mobile after that just because it was a lot of guys and gals clocking money. And we were like on the DL. Nobody thought we were making any money. So it's the best way to make money. I love that. But you're, you're also the first guest to say your current job is your favorite job. It's a good place yeah. to be. Good place to be place. To, to like what you're doing every day that much. And it's, it's interesting that I've interviewed quite a few people now and, and it's, it's almost never the job they have today. Um, hashtag hashtag blessed, I guess. Hashtag right? blessed, absolutely. A little little gratitude moment for you there. Okay, cool. Last question. Let's say money wasn't an object, like you didn't need to produce money for anything. What would you do with your time? I would learn. Um, I would want to hike as many national parks as possible. Not because I'm a good hiker, mind you. It's the moments where I've noticed when I've been hiking and, and get out and go on a vacation that I am completely, I can breathe. Like, 
I can breathe. And so why not explore and be one of those people who said, I'm going to blog. I'm going to rent some cool vans. <laughs> I'm going to do this and that. And just that feeling of getting out. And I'd like take my cell phone and throw it off the cliff as far as I could. And I'd be like, I'm done with that shit because it can't make me money anymore. Yeah. And I'd have like a laptop and a, and a, de- a phone in my camper that was on the wall and a fax machine. And I would just, I'd be living it up, man. Now that, that feels even good to say it out loud. So you just gave me a mission for life is that's where I want to be. That's right. And it's an interesting, I love asking this question to people because you, you learn all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Like I, 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 I could have kind of guessed, I guess with you that you like the outdoors. You live in, you live in South Dakota, right? Yeah. Yep. It's all it so, is is outdoors. All it is is outdoors. And there's not a lot of, not a lot of what Houses. we call buildings in South Dakota. <laughs> there might be more buffaloes than people in South Dakota. Oh, there's enough buffalo and cornfields here to make you want to get the hell out as soon as possible. But you, but you're you're building an awesome tidal wave of a company there, yeah. and I I love watching your growth, being a partner in your growth. I, I will always continue to refer you business here. And uh, hey, uh, while we wrap it up, how can people find you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn's a great place. Um, Stephen Schmidt, title T A oh, T I D A L. Or if you want to, you know, shit, shoot me a text, 605-214-8000 is my mobile number. And uh, if I can help you and you heard something, great. If not, you know, keep listening to Kevin because I'm, I'm thinking 2022 is going to be your year, brother. I think you've you've got an edge here in the space of, call it sales tips and tricks. If you're not giving them and you're talking more about how can I train people, how can I get people to actually take a dipper trick and not whatever's said that day and try? That's the other thing, man. You know, not to get a new subject, but you're giving advice that isn't the flavor of the day. And that, there needs to be more of that. And I think it's great because we got to get back to the roots of this job. And if you love this, which you do, bring them back to the roots of the just do the work. It's a little bit of hard. But it's a lot of fun. There is no software that you can buy to make this happen differently that nobody else can buy. It is you. What do they say? If you're the only one, if you're the, you're, you are the problem, right? If you look around the room and you can't do this, you're the problem. Yeah. Same thing. Right. So dude, uh, I can't wait to tune into more of these. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, thank you for your time, man. And, uh, have a great rest of your week. Cheers. If this episode is interesting to you, please share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Tag me and I might just feature your post in an upcoming episode of the sales career podcast. Or if you want to connect directly, Go to hopconsultinggroup.com and we'll find a way to work together. Cheers.